The Lord is good. And all the time, he is good. He is good. Every once in a while, we can go a little old school. Um, I tell you, the Lord is so good and so kind to us. I mean, that uh, even if he weren't so good and so kind, he'd still be worthy. Isn't that amazing? The God that we serve, before he did anything for you, he was worthy. Uh, and so that he has done anything for you just magnifies and, and, and compounds just how worthy he is. He is a good and kind and gracious God that is worthy of all of our praises. Amen? Amen. And it's because of that that we gather. It's because of that that we come around uh, the, the table, if you will, uh, not just as we will in a bit uh, to observe the Lord's Supper and share in the fellowship, uh, but, but not, uh, not only that, but we come around the table to hear from him, to learn from him. Lord, teach us, show us, help us. We are aimless. We are rudderless without you. So Lord, please show us the way. And that is exactly what he does. Well, uh, we're beginning the year, uh, as we customarily do, with a little bit of a, uh, of a, of a reassessment, if you will, kind of a, a regrouping. Uh, you know how it is, whereas as time goes by, you, you start to forget some things. You start to forget what you were doing in the first place. I, 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 I get that. That, that happens a lot. Um, my beautiful, loving, adoring bride uh, will send me out to the store, to the grocery store, and she'll have her, her honeydew list of all the things that she wants me to pick up from the grocery store. And so uh, back when early on in, in our marriage, uh, she would tell me, could you get this? Could you get that? Could you get some eggs? Could you get some uh, chicken breasts? Could you get, you know, something, you know, to get? And I'd go, okay, yeah, sure. And, and somewhere in the process of me grabbing my keys and my wallet, grabbing my shoes, getting into the car, driving down the road, getting into the store or into the parking lot, parking the car, grabbing a cart, walking into the store, somewhere in the midst of all of that, everything that she asked of me, I forgot. Okay, uh, fellas, can y'all help me out? I'm not the only one here, right? Okay, and, and so we did this. It was just a wonderful kind of amendment to our marriage. Uh, as soon as she would say, hey, honey, could you get, I would just say, text me. Just text me. Give me a list, text it out and all of that. I will take it from there. If I forget, even after you have texted me, that's on me. But if you did not text me, that is not my problem, right? It is not my fault that I forgot. That we're forgetful people, aren't we? You know, time goes by and, and you are, are in the mix. You're, you're doing stuff. You're, you're going through uh, the motions, if you will, and you forget. It's, it's just a, a, a way that our brains work. Um, obviously, you know that there are some, as time goes by, where forgetfulness can become a more serious thing. When you talk about matters of dementia or Alzheimer's or things like that, our, our minds seem to be in the process of wearing down right? Eventually, we will get to a point where we don't remember anything. And uh, many folks, of course, go through that, and many folks experience that. And that's why we need reminders. 
just a regular check-in, <laughs> you know, making sure we remember who we are, remember why we're here, remember what we're about. You know, these are the types of things that we need to do regularly. Of course, we know from the, uh, the Old Testament, as you see with Israel, as we walk through the first five books of the Bible last year, we're saying last year now, uh, when, you, when you work your way through, you recognize just how easy it was for the people of Israel to forget who they were. How easy it was for them to forget why, why they exist. And, and the Lord had to say things over and over and over again to them. Well, don't think that you're any super spiritual person who is higher than they were. The Lord says that those things were written for our instruction so that we would recognize that their tendency is our tendency. That just as they forgot who they were, that they forgot the mission, that they forgot why they were constituted as God's people in those days, well, that, that's the same struggle that we have, and perhaps even more so because we live in a wildly oversaturated culture. Can you all agree with that? We are filled with so much. I mean, you, you open your eyes and, and all of a sudden you, you may have those, you know, kind of, kind of itchy fingers, right? Where like you're just kind of twitching and you're going, ah, do I grab the phone? I really don't want to grab the phone, but I really want to grab the phone. Now nah, I'm going to grab the phone, right? And you grab it and all of a sudden it's on. I mean, high octane, all the information that people can throw at you from sales and deals and all of that to this has happened in the news to this random person said, this on social media to this guy's yelling at my face telling me that I should really, really care about this particular news story because it's the most important noise, no, uh, noise Freudian slip, news story of, uh, of, of our entire lifetimes and, and all of these different things that you have and you're just inundated with, with, with info and noise and mess and just content, 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 content. And it's easy for us after all of that oversaturation to forget why you exist. What really matters in all of this? What really is the big deal? Did I just lose power? Hello? Can you hear me? Okay, okay. It sounded like it got a little quiet here. Um, but all of those things uh, uh, may uh, uh, distract us from recognizing what ultimately matters. And so that's why we come back. Beginning of the year, new year, same us, right? Same people, same mission, same emphasis, same uh, priorities. That's what we need to remind ourselves of. And the first thing we want to remind ourselves of, which is what we're going to talk about today, is that we as a church are a Bible-saturated people. Those words are very important. We are a people we have gathered together. We have come together uh, over, over certain convictions and beliefs and commitments and, and so on. We are a people. We are a people of the Bible, right? We, we open up the scriptures to hear what God has said, to, to listen, to be taught and instructed and by his spirit to follow in that way. But there's this word that seems a little unusual and that's the word saturated, a Bible-saturated people. What is a Bible-saturated people? A Bible-saturated people is a people that doesn't just have a Bible on their shelves. You don't just have a Bible app. 
You, you don't just have, you know, little nuggets on a, on a coffee mug or on a t-shirt or, or something like that, but rather the Bible uh, is, is, is your guidance. The Bible is your teacher and instruction. The, the Lord is not just the way to life for you, but the Lord is the way of life for you. You have been so, uh, um, uh, you have so filled with the scriptures and so filled with the word of God that, that you find your life just walking in that particular path. That's what we want to be. And that's what we believe that the spirit is forming us to be. So we're going to remind ourselves of this. And I'm going to do so, uh, Lord willing, by showing you in the scriptures that this is the way to go. This is not just a simple option for us, or you could choose this way, or you could choose another way, and everything will be fine. No, that's not the way the scriptures teach. In fact, the scriptures teach us that this is the only way that leads to life. Only the word of God is the wor- are the words of life. And to show you that, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalms is right about in the middle of your Bible. So those of you who are unfamiliar, maybe you got a Bible for the first time and you're holding it, or maybe somebody handed you their Bible, you just kind of cut it right in the middle. And right about in the midpoint of the Bible is the book of Psalms. And we're looking at the first of the Psalms, Psalm 1. When you're there, say, I'm there. All right, cool. Psalm 1, beginning of verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And now let's ask that God would give us wisdom and instruction to hear and to heed his word. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need your help this morning. There's no way that this will make any eternal significance for us. And implants it into our souls and into our lives. So, Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do. By your spirit, make Make us alive. By your spirit, conform us even more into the image of your son. 
by your spirit, I pray that we would indeed be people of the book. And that we would live in accordance with your truths so that the neighbors and the nations would know that you are God and you are good. Lord, there may be some who are here today that do not trust Christ as their Savior. They are, as I said before, living life aimlessly, rudderlessly in this life, perhaps choosing their own adventure. But Lord, we know that you have given us a better way to live. And so I pray, Father, that they would hear your word and that your word would indeed dig deeply into their hearts and in their minds, that they would turn away from their sin, turn wholeheartedly to Jesus, trusting him and him alone, not just for their salvation, but for their lives, that they may bear much fruit for your namesake. And we thank you. So Lord, have your way among us. Do mighty things in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a simple psalm. It's the beginning of the Psalter. Uh, it's, it's just a tiny one. It's only five verses, and I'm sorry, six verses, and, 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 and it has a very clear message. You could really whittle down the message into one simple sentence, and I, here's how I summarize it. I just say point blank that we are to delight in the word, not in the world. We are to delight in the word, not in the world. Okay, this is a classic wisdom psalm. Uh, in the Bible, you have a certain type of literature, a certain genre of literature that we call wisdom literature. And Psalm 1 is an example of a wisdom psalm. It's a very simple motif in typical wisdom literature where you have, uh, you, you're, if you get, think of it as, as, a, as you in a car and, and you're driving down the road like we do. We live out in the Youngsville area. And, and as we go uh, in some of the back roads, uh, you come to a a sign that has two arrows pointing in opposite directions. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And you have come to this, what we call a fork in the road, a crossroads. And you, and you now go, well, what do I do? Do I go left or do I go right? Well, in wisdom literature, uh, the, the, the biblical writers teach us that life is just like that. Over and over and over again, you hit that sign with the arrows going in either direction, and you've got a choice to make. Am I going to go this direction, or am I going to go that direction? And it's very clear that, that the way that we are to go, especially here in this psalm, the way that we are to go is the way of the word. We are to listen to what God has revealed to us in scripture. This is not just any old book. Okay, this is not a just simply a history book, although there's much history in here. It's not just a music book, although we are reading the first of the Psalms. It, it is not just a, a book of philosophy and, and teaching and, and deep theological uh, meditation. It's all of those things. But more than anything, this book is the written revelation of God. God himself, we believe, spoke to his people through the prophets and the apostles, and he has given us his lenses, if you will. Uh, I am, you know, for all intents and purposes, blind as a bat. 
And, and, and this happened, uh, at least I realized it, when I was in seventh grade. I was in seventh grade, beginning middle school. And as, as most of y'all probably experienced in middle school, you know, uh, you, you can't take any L's. Like, you have to go undefeated. You know, you, you've got to do whatever you can to be the cool person. You've got to do whatever you can to make sure that nobody's going to make fun of you and all of this. It's, it's a gauntlet. And you're just like, all right. And I'm sitting in class, and I'm looking at the chalkboard. This is back in the day when they had chalkboard. And um, and I'm looking at the at the at the board and and I can't make out anything that is on the board, and and the teacher said maybe I should you know move up to the front and I said maybe I shouldn't um, because why that's that's no man's land I'm not going up there you know I'm back here with the cool kids you know and all that so anyways I I, I talked to my mom and my dad and they said well they'll take me to the eye doctor went to the eye doctor and they said you need glasses. And I said, no, I don't. Um, here's the reason. Because right around the time that I was in seventh grade, there was this show on TV called Family Matters. And, and, and there was this one character with suspenders named Steve Urkel. And, 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 and he had a really high voice and, and all of that. And I'm in seventh grade and, and I'm starting to get to that stage of life where my voice is making weird noises. Uh, you know, all the cracks and all of that. And I'm just thinking, if I'm over here, you know, squeaking and crackling all over the place and I have glasses... No, mm -mm. Mm -mm. no, 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 I know exactly what's going to happen. Well, fast forward some 30 some odd years later and I'm still wearing glasses. Uh, I'm still going through this, but there's an advantage to that. Uh, I can drive with my glasses on. That's good. I can see you with my glasses on. I can make sense of my surroundings when I have some way of seeing what's going on. The Bible is that. God, if you will, has given us a set of lenses. And he says, with these lenses, you are able to make sense of this world. You're able to make sense of yourself. You're able to make sense of me. And get to know me and get to understand the world as I created it and all of that. That's what you have in this book. I was listening just the other day. There was a, um, an Episcopal priest um, and I use both of those terms really loosely um, because I saw this on social media where he was on there and, and he was basically saying that Jesus doesn't want us to read our Bibles. This is not a joke. I, I actually should have uh, sent you, John, the video and everything to embed it so you could actually see this. He was making a case for why Christians don't need the Bible. And he actually said in there that, that God has given us wonderful people today, people of all faiths and all religions and orientations and all of these different things. God speaks through all of us and we don't need the Bible anymore, this old archaic book. My first response listening to this it was, okay, what's your profession again? Um, because I really don't understand what the purpose of being an Episcopalian priest is. If you're just going to tell everyone to live life the way they were already living it. Like, what's the point of being there? Why am I going to that quote-unquote church? And why am I listening to that person when all he's saying is, hey, you're doing well, you're doing fine, nothing to change here. It's like how you feel when you go to the doctor's office, right? You go to the doctor's office and you have your little checkup and they go, well, everything looks good. And for me, I just go, well, then why am I here? 
You know, I, I'm, I'm paying you to tell me that something is wrong. I don't want to hear that something's wrong. But if there isn't anything wrong, why am I here, right? Same thing with that. Why are you here? Well, why are you in this place? You're in this place because we recognize that there are some things that are deeply wrong with us. There are some things that, that, are, that are wrong about us. There are things that are wrong about our world. There are things that are, that are wrong about the direction that we are going. And we need someone to give us some corrective lenses to say, this is how I want you to live. This is the way to go. So here we are at the fork of the road. And the psalmist is telling us in verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That's why I say here that we are not to delight in the world. Notice that first word there, blessed. The word there is ashray. I love ashray. It's a good Hebrew word. It means happy. Yeah, that's it. That's, 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 what, that's what it means. Happy. Uh, do you want to live a happy life? <laughs> I don't know many people, you know, the Eeyores of the world that were just, that just sit around going, well, my life's a disaster. I kind of saw it coming. Don't really want to change anything. It's fine just the way it is. There, there are no Eeyores that are like that. We want to we be happy. Right now, we're right in the mix of, of really the best time of the year because we've got the football playoffs going on with NFL and with college and so on, national championship happening tomorrow. This is the best world, I realize, for some of us. Um, uh, you know, there are some people who root for NFL teams that apparently have no desire to make it to playoffs and to win titles and things like that, but they'll remain nameless. Um, in Charlotte, but, but there are, um, <laughs> there, are, there are, you know, we, we have all that with football and everything. And then next month we've got March Madness and all of this. And I know for those of you who are sports enthusiasts, uh, enthusiasts like me, you watch the games and you see the fans and there's just something about it. Yesterday the Texans won and they made it to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. And, and, and here's this rookie, this young kid, I can say that now, this young kid who, who, who leads his team to the playoffs for the first time in several years and he's just overcome with emotion. He's just a young kid and he, he did it. I mean, they're in the playoffs. He led them. He's the team hero and all that. Houston loves him. And, 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 and it's just one of those exhilarating moments, right? Or when you see the game-saving tackle and, and, the, and the team runs out and, and grabs the guy who, who, had, who got the game-winning tackle and, yeah, boy, you're my dog. You're him. And all this stuff that they do. I mean, it's just the, the exhilaration and the thrill. And there's something about that that we say, that's what I want. I want, to be, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the thrill. I want, I want, to, I want to experience that, that rush of excitement and emotion and happiness. You, you see someone, as we have even our church, some folks that have gotten wedding rings, or I'm sorry, engagement rings. <laughs> Let's not put the cart before the horse. They've gotten some engagement rings, and, and they go on social media with the, with the rings and all of that, and everybody, oh my goodness, that's amazing. We're all excited and exhilarated. Why? Because this is what we were created for. You were created to enjoy life. You were created to delight in life. And here's the amazing thing. That's not accidental. That's not going against God's plan. 
God is not the, 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 the cosmic kid with the, micro, with the magnifying lens and the sun just trying to zap all of us like little ants. That's not the God of the Bible. He created you for joy. He created you to enjoy this life. And he tells us in the psalm, this is how you can maximize that joy. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Perhaps we can update the language a little bit, kind of bring it here into 2024. He says, how, how, how happy is the person who, who does not punch in the, their address into your GPS? How, how happy is the person who doesn't park his car on their street? How happy is the person who doesn't move into their house? When you hear it in that way, you recognize that there are some degrees of association here, right? Uh, the counsel of the wicked, you're listening to their advice. They're telling you, you know, if I were you, I, this is the way that I would live my life. And, and you, you take it into consideration and you actually start taking steps towards that direction. He says, happy is the one who does not walk in that direction. Happy is the one who does not stand on their pathway, or as I said, park on their street. This is a little bit different. This is now, you're not only following their advice, but you've actually kind of situated yourself in their neighborhood, if you will. He says, no, that's not the way that you're supposed to live your life. And then he goes on to say, the one who sits in their seat. Well, now you're not just following their directions and you're not just on their path. Now you're in their house. You have a seat at their table. And back in that ancient Near Eastern culture, much like today, the people who are most associated with sitting at the table are your family. It's the old Olive Garden adage, right? When you're here, you're family. It's the old, the old way of, uh, the old little slogan that they had. He says, you know, now you've gotten to a point where you associate yourself with them. You identify with them. They are your people. You're on the team. You got the jersey. This is how it's all about. We'll look even further in verse one. He says, the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who stands in the way of sinners, who sits in the seat of scoffers. Each of those has a bit of degree of intensity as well. The wicked is just the, the Hebrew word for guilty. It's a person who has committed a crime, okay? Uh, someone who has, who has done the wrong thing. He says, how uh, happy is the one who walks out in the counsel of the wicked, of the guilty. Here, the, the, uh, in terms of breaking the rules, breaking the laws and so on, we're talking about God's rules, God's laws. He says, how happy is the person who doesn't do that? But then he talks about the, the, uh, the way of sinners. Well, by talking about sinners, he's not just talking about a person who has committed an offense, but a person who is a repeat offender. Okay, they've not just done something wrong, they've actually done it again and again and again and again, okay? And now the last one, he says, the one who sits in the seat of scoffers. They're not just someone who has done something wrong, they're not just one who, who has repeated something wrong, but now on top of all of that, they've gotten so comfortable in their sin and so in, in love with the sins that they commit that they're now defending those sins. And they defend those sins by mocking anybody that would give them another way of life. Think even in our world Think about the, the tribalism that we have in our society. 
And think if somebody were to call out the sins of homosexuality or if they were to call out the sins of, of abortion or if they were to call out the sins, you know, of, of, a, of, of, of this rank immorality and all of these different things, then, then they would get a name, wouldn't they? Well, that's just those Christian nationalists, right? That's just those fundamentalists over there. That's, that's just, you know, and all the little names that they're called. Well, that's the mocking and the scoffing that he's talking about. Or if you're on the flip side and you say, if you, if you care uh, uh, and speak out against the sins of racism or you speak out against the sins of, uh, of injustice and, and the sins of marginalizing the poor and the needy and so on. And they say, well, you're just a part of that woke mob. It's again the mocking and the scoffing that he's talking about right here. He says, happy is the one who stays away from those paths. The one who steers clear from all of that and says, I'm not getting in that. I'm not being a part of that. I'm not associating with those who love to identify themselves with the very things that the Lord calls out in here. Are, are y'all with me on this? Y'all y'all catching yeah, or, or am I am I am I losing something? It's okay. It's okay, right? Okay. Good. 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 All right. So so notice he says here, this is the way that we're not to live. Happy is the person who does not do that. Happy is the person who does not follow that path. But rather, instead of delighting in the world, they delight in the word. Verse two. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The word there for law is the word that we saw in the first five books of the, of the Bible, the word Torah. His delight is in the Torah. His delight is in the instruction of God. His delight is in, as it says here, the law of the Lord. Now you hear that, and let's just be real. Let's just be real. You hear that, and, and if you're just coming at this for the first time, or, or maybe you're reading it again for the first time, you may think that's a weird sentence. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Where are my, uh, my teenagers who are at least right around driving age? Y'all raise your hands. You're right around driving age and so on. Yeah. And, and how many of y'all have taken driving school or, or you're in driving school or something like that? Yeah. How many of you went in skipping and jumping? I'm going to driving school, yay, 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 right? And you get your little driver's manual, and you're reading it, yeah, right of way, woo! You know, and you're, how many of y'all did that? Anybody? No, most of you, you probably looked at that book and were like, I gotta, I gotta read this? <laughs> I mean, it's got pictures, and that's all cool and all, but I've gotta, I gotta go through this, and I'm gonna get tested on this when it's all said and done, and, uh, you know, nobody has done that with laws. Nobody looks at laws and goes, it just thrills my heart to read the Constitution one more time, right? <laughs> you know, one more time. It's, it gives me joy to read the Constitution at all, right? You know, no one does that. What is it about this, though, that the writer says, it's my delight. I delight in the law of the Lord. I think what he's saying here is he delights in the law of the Lord because he delights in the Lord of the law. Do you, do you get what I'm saying here? He, he's listening to what this says and he is getting, if you will, through the scriptures, an entryway into the very heart and mind of God. This is why you made me. 
This is what you intend my life uh, to, to look like. This is where you intend me to go. This is how you want us to live. This is how we can enjoy you in this life and in the next. This is my treasure. That's why the psalmist, like David, could later on say, your word is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Now, I have this thing with bees, and so I'm not grabbing any honeycombs or anything like that. But Annie has actually done this before, where she's actually had honey straight from the honeycomb. And she's tried it before, and she said that it was actually pretty good. Um, and and as, she, uh, as she has this experience where, where she's able to, to, to uh, enjoy that honey, it's actually led to a little bit of an analogy that she loves to use. And, and, and I'm just going to take it without her permission, because I can. Um, she said uh, that, that you can talk about the sweetness of honey. You can, you can explain to somebody. Honey is sweet. It, it, it's great on your tongue. It's, it's great for teas. It's, it's great as a sweetener. It's just, it's just really, really good. And somebody could hear it and go, oh, okay, honey is sweet. Honey is sweet. This is amazing. But there's something about when you take a spoon and you pour that honey on a spoon and you say, here, try some honey. And you take that spoon, put it in your mouth, taste the honey, and you go, oh, I didn't know, right? This is, this is good. It's sweet. It's lovely. You know, I, 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 oh, can I have some more of that honey? That's what the psalmist is talking about. I'm listening to God. I'm hearing him. I'm, I'm actually getting through the scriptures a picture of who he is and what he's like. And as I am, I'm not just hearing people talk about God. I'm actually experiencing him myself as I'm communing with him in his word. And that's why the psalmist says, it's my delight. It's my delight. I don't need the counsel of the wicked. I don't need the pathway of sinners. I don't need the seat of scoffers because my heart is not with them. My heart is with him. And as long as I've got him, I've got everything I need. Church, this is good. Is this where you are? Is this where you are? Do you find yourself when you're opening the scriptures with the recognition that you are in that moment listening to the voice of God himself? Think about that. I remember one person saying that they just wanted to hear God's voice audibly. And they said, uh, somebody responded, if you want to hear God's voice audibly, read the Bible out loud. Um, <laughs> um, it's, it's good wisdom, a little snarky, but good wisdom nonetheless. Um, you, why? Because this is the voice of God. This is him. This is him talking to you. He's showing you, he's teaching you, he's instructing you. Do you make time for his word? It could be that you spend some time in the morning and you say, all right, I've just devoted this time. Everybody's asleep and I'm able to, to read unhindered, uninterrupted. Uh, I, get to, I get to sit and I get to just enjoy his word. Uh, are you like that? Or, or maybe it's on your commute. You've got an audio Bible and you listen to someone read the Bible over you as you're, uh, as you're going through, uh, going down the road and so on. Maybe that's what it's like for you. Maybe there's some of you who love journaling. Um, you know, I've got most of my Bibles have pretty wide 
margins because I like scribbling and I'll underline and I'll highlight and I'm drawing arrows and circling words and just all of this. It's, it's a mess. It makes total sense to me. But anybody that picks up, you know, uh, any of my Bibles, digital or paper, and they just flip through, they're just like, I have no idea what's going on. I mean, it's a different language that's, that's going on in there. That's just the way that I've, I've done it. And I've got notebooks where I'll, I'll be writing out stuff and just jotting down my thoughts and my notes and everything. I just want to know. I just want to hear him. I just want to understand. Is this how you are? You say, I only have but a couple of minutes. Use those couple of minutes as best as you possibly can with the Lord's help. But notice he says here that, he, that if you notice the connection here, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And the next line says, on his law, he meditates day and night. So delighting in the law of the Lord is parallel here to meditating on his law day and night. If you're, if you're a scribbler like me, you just circle delight and circle meditates day and night and just draw a line to connect those two together because that's what he means when he says delights. By delighting, it means it's, it, the, the word of the Lord is on his mind all day long. You ever had that? You're reading the scriptures and there's something that God said in the word and you just can't stop thinking about it. You find yourself as you're driving down the road going, what did he mean when he said that? Or maybe he said, maybe it was a promise that you heard in the scriptures. And as you hear it, you just go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that God said that. That's awesome. And you just, you just let his word dig deep into your heart and into your mind and just take over. That's what he wants his word to do. That's what his word is designed to do. And so you delight on his, Lord, uh, on his word by meditating on it day and night. So for those of you who say, I don't have a lot of time to read the Bible, you don't need a lot of time to read the Bible. You've got all day, though, to meditate on the Bible. Now, let me, let me talk about what I mean when I say meditate. When I say meditate, I don't mean sitting, you know, cross-legged and everything and doing hum, hum. No, that's not, that's not what we mean by meditation, okay? Meditation in that sense, in kind of the Eastern religion, Eastern pantheistic culture and so on, they mean by meditation getting out of your mind. You get out of your mind in order to get into some type of weird transcendental uh, uh, state where you're totally clear and all of that because they believe that that's ultimate reality is to get out of this physical world and get into this spiritual world and all of that, all of which sounds really creepy to me. Um, I don't think that's what the scriptures are talking about when it says meditation. I don't think the scriptures are, are talking that way when it talks about reality. Uh, I think they're wrong on multiple fronts in that in that case, at least according to the scriptures. What he, the Bible means when it says meditation is this, not coming out of your mind, but actually getting in it, using your mind, letting the Bible actually captivate your mind so that you are thinking about what God said all the time. You don't, you maybe need just, you know, you maybe only have 10 minutes or 15 minutes to read the scriptures. That's okay. I, I'd hope that you'd have more time, but if you only have 10, 15 minutes, that's perfectly fine. But take all day thinking about what you read in those 10, 15 minutes. 
constantly mulling it over, constantly asking, why did he say that? What does that mean? How does that connect with what he said before? How does it connect with what he said after? How does it connect with what's going on in all the Bible? How does this point me to Jesus? And just all these questions. How does this change my life? What is, is my life in accordance with this? Is there somewhere where my life is off on this? And just all these questions that you can ask to, to dig deep into the word or even more to have the word dig deep into you. That's what he's saying here. We are people who delight in the word and not in the world. Well, why would, is this a good thing? <laughs> he says he's happy in verse one. Why is he happy? Like what, what is it about delighting in the word that's better than delighting in the world? Well, we find here that delighting in the word is the only way to thrive. Delighting in the word is the only way to thrive. Look at verse three. He says he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Okay, so we're now talking imagery. We're using a, a type of speech called simile. You know, it's a simile because he used the word like. He is like. Anytime you see like or as, we're going back into uh, grammar school here. It, uh, uh, it's, it's a simile. So he's making a comparison here. The man who delights in the word and not in the world is like a tree. Okay. And, and it's, he's not like a tree because, because the psalmist wants him to leave. You, you get that? I was trying to pull a Travis, man, you know, and it, and it, it, and it tanked just like Travis's, but that's okay. But, <laughs> um, you know, but maybe next time, I don't know. But he, he's like a tree. <laughs> he's like a tree in what way? He says, well, a tree is planted, this tree, this particular tree he's talking about is planted by streams of water. Okay. Now, you, anybody that knows anything about trees knows that trees need water. A good water supply is good for a tree. Well, he's over here by streams of water. Really good but for this tree. But it's not just really good. It's miraculously good for this tree. Because it says here that this tree yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Anybody who knows anything about trees knows that that's really rare. Typically, the trees that, that, uh, uh, that bear fruit lose their leaves, like right now, in wintertime. Fruit trees are dead right now. They're, they're dormant for the winter. And so you say, wow, that's interesting that there's a fruit tree that, that, that's leaf doesn't wither. But think about it the other way. Trees that are evergreen, trees that, that typically keep their leaves all through the year, don't bear fruit. And so you go, well, what's going on? Think like a pine tree. You typically don't go to pine trees to get fruit, you know, or anything like that. You know, so what's, what's going on here where we've got, uh, uh, you know, a, a tree that is giving fruit and doesn't lose its, its, its leaves. This is a miraculous tree. It makes you wonder what kind of water supply is that? There's something going on over in this area. And that's exactly what he's saying. He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water who bears fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. Look at what he says. Here's the comparison. Verse three at the end. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, you gotta be careful with that. He's not saying that everything he does is successful. I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. It's one of my beefs with a lot of Christian movies um, is that, you know, they always have this thing where it's like this person never loses ever. 
it's always a happy ending. Because he believed in God, you know, they won the football game. Because they believed in God, you know, the, they, uh, the, you know they, were, they were miraculously healed. Because they, they believed in God, they got that job. Because they believed in God, the atheist professor came to Jesus, you know, and all of these different things. And it's not that that's necessarily bad. and certainly not that that can't happen. But it, it gives this idea that bad things never actually happen to Christians. And if you read Psalm 1, you may get that impression when he says, in all that he does, he prospers. If by prosper, you mean what our culture means by prosper. That's not what this means. When he says in all that he does, he prospers, what he's saying is he is experiencing the flourishing of God as he is submitting all of his life to the word of God. So does that mean that you won't get cancer if you follow Jesus? No, it doesn't mean that. My grandmother, whom I love, uh, just months before I proposed to my bride, went, to home, went home to be with Jesus. Uh, I miss her to this day. She was such a sweet woman of God. She was one of those old, uh, I'm sorry, she was one of those ex, um, advanced in age um, uh, ladies who, uh, who, who would go to church. She was an usher, an old black church, all white, white stockings, white shoes, white hat, white gloves. I mean, she, she got ready, you know, for church. And, and she would be there for the funerals. She would be there for the wedding. She would be there for the potluck. She would be there for the four-hour services because old black churches go on for a minute back in those days. And, and she would do all of those different things. She loved Jesus. And anytime the doors were open, she wanted to be there because she loved being in the presence of God's people. She died of cancer. She died of cancer. Good friend of mine, loved the Lord Jesus, died in a car accident. Another friend of mine, loved the Lord. His wife left him. Sweet woman of God, friend of Annie and mine, her husband had a sex change and left his family. Good things happen to, the, to God's people, yes, bad things can happen too. The point here, and when he says all he does, he prospers, is in the midst of the good and the bad, the hand of the Lord is on him. And God has promised that he will never let him go. And God has promised that his life is never going to be derailed to the point that God would look at him and say, I never knew you. That's kind of going into the next section there. He, in all of his life, he has this sense that God is with me and God's going to see me through. And that's what I believe he's talking about right here. He's able to thrive in every situation and in every case in life because God is with him. That's why it's so sad and emphatic in the next verse. In the Hebrew, it's reworded differently. In the Hebrew, the next verse in verse 4 says, not so the wicked. That's what it says in Hebrew. Not so the wicked. To think that you would be in a situation where you could not experience the favor of God, where you could not experience his presence, where you could not know what it's like to bear fruit in your life, to live a fruitful life, where you don't know what it's like to, to experience the abundance of life that is in the presence of our God. He says that's how it is for the group that he talked about in verse one. He says it's not so for them, but they are, instead of being like a tree, they're like chaff. That the wind drives away. Figure your old Wild Wild West. You got the showdown at the OK Corral, right? 
wah, right? And you got the, so the sheriff, you know, there. And you've got the, 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 the bandit, you know, who's on the other side. Right? And you've got the showdown right there. Okay? And, and for whatever reason, because it just adds depth to the scene, what do you see? There goes the tumbleweed, right? The tumbleweed that goes around. He says, that's the wicked. There they are. Note, they're not planted, which is why the wind blows and it just, whoop, there it goes. And notice, there's no way that tumbleweed is going to bear fruit. Nobody ever went to a tumbleweed for apple picking, right? It can't bear fruit. It, it can't make any sense or purpose or be of any use. It's, it's, just, it's just going wherever the wind takes it. There's no depth, there's no foundation, there's no purpose, there's no fruit, there's no result. It's just nothing. Tumbleweed. He says that's how it's like for the wicked. That's what it's like when your life is not planted in the word of God. The situation comes. We mentioned a couple already. Cancer. Divorce. We could talk about losing your job. We could talk about sickness. We could talk about being sinned against. We could talk about your own personal sin. And you're grasping for something to hold on to and something to, to get you through and something to make sense of all of it. And there's nothing there. Because the only one that is able to get you through and the only one who's able to make all things new is the Lord. Not so the wicked. The only way that you can thrive is by delighting in the word of the Lord and delighting in the Lord of the word. Well, not only is that the only way that we can thrive, but as we see here in these last couple of verses, it's the only way that you can survive. You think that your problem is here in this life and all the things that could happen to you in this life? The psalm says, oh, no, no, no. There's so much more for you to be thinking about. As he says in verse 5, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The idea is that there's going to come a day where every single one of us is going to stand before the Lord and we're going to have to give an account for our lives. We're going to have to say uh, with our lives uh, or before the Lord, this is how we lived. Did we live for you, our great king? Did Did we live as we were created to live? Did we live in a manner that is glorifying and pleasing to you? Is this what we did with our lives or did we waste our lives. And he says, there's only some that are going to be able to stand. The wicked are not them. You are going to stand before the Lord on that great day and your the books will be opened and the, the record will be there and you will have to give an account for your life. And there is no way that you can survive the judgment of God. That's what he says here in the scriptures. They will not stand in the judgment. The sinners will not join in in the congregation of the righteous. You say, why is that important? Well, because of what he says in verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Remember the fork in the road? Remember the arrows going in two different directions? If you go in this direction, you will have to face the judgment of God. You are not living your life in accordance with him. You are not following after his ways. You are not seeking after him. Your life is out of alignment with his word. And there's no way that you can survive that. You will perish on that day. However, 
there is a group of people that he calls there the congregation of the righteous. And those who are of the congregation of the righteous will stand because it says here, the Lord knows their way. It's not that he knows it cognitively. It's not that, that he knows what their way is in terms of information, but it's rather he knows their way because their way is his way. You say, why is that so important? And how in the world can we even be a part of this way of the righteous? Does it mean then that we're just supposed to read this Bible and we're just supposed to obey everything that it says? Well, yeah, you're supposed to read it. And yes, you're supposed to obey what it says. But, but it's more than that. Rather, what the Bible does is it reveals to us who we really are. And who we really are, let's all be honest, is wicked. All of us are wicked. None of us is an exception to this rule. Every single one of us belongs in that group there that will not stand in the judgment and will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. That's every single one of us. But God in his grace has given us a way. He has given us an answer to us in the scriptures. He says, here's the way that I can, that, that you can no longer live the rest of your life in wickedness, but you can move from this group over here of wickedness into this group here that I call righteous. And it's actually through this book. It's as you read this book, you start to recognize what my standard is. And you start to also see that you are woefully short of that standard. But what you're also going to find in this book is that there was one that I sent. And he came down to this earth. He is my very son. He is very God of very God. He is my perfection. He shares in my glory. And he came down, put on flesh. And he said, all of these folks who are wicked and are going to face your judgment, I am going to come into their place, put on their shoes, and I am going to take their righteous condemnation that you have for them. And I'm going to have you pour it on me, Lord. And you are going to give to me what they deserve. But that's not all. I'm going to give to them my righteousness so that they can receive what, what I deserve. He said, that's what we call the great exchange. And when we come to the Lord by faith, trusting in him, receiving the message of this book, he puts us out of the, uh, the congregation of the wicked and he puts us into the congregation of the righteous. So that when he looks at us, he sees the perfection of his son and he says, I know you. <laughs> I know your way. Your way looks really familiar to me because your way is my way. This is what our God does. And this is why we delight. Because when we read this, yes, we see all the areas where we're wrong and all the areas where we failed. And we know that we don't measure up. But we also see Jesus and say, he measures up and we're in him. And because of that, we're free. I delight in your word, oh God, because it's in your word that I see Jesus. This is good news. And this should saturate every single one of us here. We're marked by this. This is our identity. I don't need to go to the wicked. I don't need to go to sinners. I don't need to go to scoffers to find my identity. I don't belong in those groups and neither do you. Rather, we belong here in the congregation of the righteous. Or better yet, we are here in the congregation of the righteous one, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. So let us this year, 
And every year, delight in the word, not in the world. Because it is only in the word that we can thrive. And it is only through the word that we can survive. Because it's only through the word that we see Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And so, Father, I ask that you would indeed take your word and plant us like a tree by the stream of water. That, Lord, through your word working in us and among us and through us, we would bear much fruit. And we would experience the life that is only found in Jesus Christ. Lord, it is because of Jesus that we can be in the congregation of the righteous. And your word shows us this. We long for the day where all will be made new. We long for the day when we will hear on that judgment day, justified, righteous. Enter now into the joy of your master. And we long for the day where we can join with our Savior at his table and feast forever. If you are here and you do not trust Christ as your Savior, there is only one road that leads to life. You think that you may be able to get there on your own. You think that you may be able to live your own life and all things will work out in the end. That's not what scripture teaches. Rather, God has already told us that there is one way that leads to life and his name is Jesus. And he calls on you to trust him, to receive this message And as he promises, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Trust Jesus, the crucified and risen one, and you will be saved.